So we are starting a new sermon series this morning, and it is called Living Life As. And uh, this is going to be a pretty different sermon series than what we normally do. And let me explain to you why. And while it's different, I'm very excited about it, that over the next four weeks, we're going to talk to four different groups of people on a specific topic. It's going to be a topical series. And of the next four sermons, two of them will apply to you, and two of them will not apply to you. And I realize that's a little bit different, but I'm okay with that. And the series Living Life As is we're talking about who did God create us to be. We're talking about the man that God created you to be. One week we'll talk about the woman that God created you to be. One week we'll talk about the marriage that God wants you to have. And then one week we'll talk about being single and how God has created singles and what that looks like to live your life the way that God wants you to live your life. And the reason that we're doing this is because as you look at the culture around us, the culture has screwed up what God intended for men, for women, for marriage, and for singles. You look at TV, you look at movies, you listen to the lyrics of songs, and the culture around us is so different than what God's desire is for us in, living, in terms of living life how God intended it to be lived. And so this morning we are starting with living life as the man God created you to be. Now, some of you are thinking... It's Mother's Day. Doesn't Matt know that? Yes, Matt knows it's Mother's Day. And yes, we are doing living life as the man God created you to be. And yes, we're doing it on Mother's Day, right? You're wondering, why are we doing that? Let me explain to you why we're doing this. And we intentionally put it on Mother's Day. And it's for this reason. Is the greatest gift that you as a woman could ever receive from mankind, so to speak, the greatest gift that you could receive is that the men in your life would act like men. That the husband, amen, wow. <laughs> We're not that kind of church, but go on. <laughs> but that the men in your life would act like men. The husband in your life, your father, your sons, the men you work with, your brothers, if they would act like men and not boys, that would be the greatest Mother's Day gift you could ever receive. And so we're going to talk about what does it mean to live life as a man. Before we get into it, I want to give a couple of ground rules, okay? This is both for the men and the women, but mainly for the women. Here's the ground rules. First of all, uh, th this message is geared towards men. So I'm not going to give an example or an illustration on all the different stuff for women, although you can certainly figure out how to apply it on your own. So that's the first, and this is a sermon for men. It's a locker room talk. We are allowing the women to stay in here and listen to it, okay? If you don't want to listen, you can leave. That's, that's, don't do that. But um, Here's the second thing, ladies. Pay close attention, okay? As I talk about this, as we unpack what God's Word says, no throwing elbows at your husband or the man or the son next to you. Don't, you know, don't, no, no throwing elbows. No looking down the row at a guy down the row that's your husband or your dad or whoever and go, did you get number four? Write that down. That's a good one for you. Don't, don't do that, okay? And then the last thing is no nagging, okay? You can't go home and over dinner and say, do you remember what number three is? You should really apply number three. That was a good one for you. You can't go put this on your refrigerator at home, okay? 
allow God to work in the lives of the men who are here. And so as we talk about this, as we talk about what it means to be a man, we're not going to talk about the difference between men and women. We're not going to talk about how men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti or men are from Mars, women are from Venus, that type of thing. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about what does it mean for a man to be a man instead of acting like a boy, the difference between a man and a boy. And when does a boy become a man? And that's a question that our culture wrestles with. When does a boy become a man? I have a very good friend in Africa. Uh, I go there about once a year to Kenya, and James Mungai, who is actually, we uh, pay his salary out of River Ridge Church, so if you give to River Ridge, you help to support um, James Mungai. But one of the things that they do in Africa is they have a ceremony where a boy becomes a man. And so James lives in Kenya. He's a kukuyu. And so in his tribe, at about age 13 or 14, there's a ceremony in which a boy goes from being a boy to a man, and that is a ritual of circumcision, right? doesn't happen when they're babies. happens when they're 13 or 14 years old. And so he and I have had a number of conversations about this, and I asked him a little bit about it um, this week uh, on this app called WhatsApp. But he, he said this as I asked him about it. He said about this ceremony, he says, We have almost a month of preparing those to be initiated, and it's done in the forest near river where they stay. And they are served by special people on a special diet, and women are not allowed to move close for it is taboo. He says, we have lots of rituals that involve the blood of sheep, the blood of goats, the blood of cattle, and the blood of chickens. Sounds kind of gory. There's a lot of feasting and presentation of gifts and speeches, uh, and there's the drinking of the local brew. So these 13 and 14-year-old boys are drinking a little bit here. So, uh, and then he says this, says, they wake the boys up early one morning and take them to the river to be circumcised. And so imagine all these 13, 14-year-old boys going down the river to be circumcised. And I asked him one time as we were in person, I said, why do they take them to the river and why do you wake them up really early in the morning? And he says, well, we do that so that it doesn't hurt so much to be circumcised. I'm like, oh. I said, does it work? He goes, no, not really. (laughs) But, you know, what is it that makes a boy a man in our culture? You know, is it when you have your first kiss Is it when you get your first job? Is it when you leave home? Is it when you turn 18 or you turn 21? What is it that makes a boy a man? You know, here's what we're going to see this morning about a boy becoming a man. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do with age. Because I have met 15-year-olds that act like men, and I have met 55-year-olds that act like boys. That becoming a man is not about an age thing or a ritual or even a ceremony. Becoming a man is about how we deal with responsibility. It's about the character of our hearts. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I actually thought about having the fourth and fifth grade boys and the seventh or eighth grade boys come and stand here and listen to this message Uh, But I intentionally opted not to do that. I would encourage you, if you have a boy who is in that age of fourth grade up to up through high school, even if they're not here, is have them listen to this message, and then you have a conversation as their father. You have a conversation as their mom, as their grandmother, about what it means to be a man. We're going to talk about how do you become a man. What does that look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 says this, and this is Paul writing. 
And he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. This passage talks about how does a boy become a man. Now, what's interesting about this, and and as you hear that, maybe you've heard that. Chances are that's a verse that's not so familiar to very many people here. But it comes in the context of a larger passage, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on the subject of love, which if you've been to a wedding, you very well may have heard. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not jealous. That's what love is. And so in this passage about love, we have this direction to a man about how does a man go from a child to, has a, a male go from a child to a man? And it says, it is a difference in the way that we think. I reasoned like a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child. And so what we as men want to do is we want to speak like men and think like men and reason like men, not like boys. If you flip over about three chapters, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you brought a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Open up to that verse, if you would. Verse 13 and 14. And what we're going to do is we're going to read these two verses, and then we're going to dive in and really pick them apart. It says this. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. The middle part of this says, act like men. What comes before and after is this whole, just these two short verses with lots of quick snap commands that say, this is what it means to act like a man. Or maybe you have a a translation that says, be men of courage. But this is what it means to be a man, to, to do these things, to follow these commands, to follow these instructions. And so the first one is this. It says, be watchful. Be watchful. Or maybe yours says, be on guard. If you look at this word in the, in the, kind of in the Greek and you do a survey of the entire New Testament, every time this word comes up, it has this idea of wake up, be on alert, look out, see what's out there, see what's in there. It's being on attention, looking and paying attention to what is going on around us. So the first thing, the difference between a man and a boy, is a man is self-aware and a boy is unaware. A man is self-aware, a boy is unaware. Be watchful. What that means is we look at our lives. Men, we look at our lives and we examine what is going on in our lives. You know, so often in our culture, the, the picture of men is this macho guy that has everything all together. His life is all together. He's, he's good looking. He can do, you know, poetry. He can do math. He can work with his hands. He's great in business. And it's this put together man. And there can be a part of our culture that says, put up the facade of being an all-star guy. You know, put up a facade of being the world's most interesting man. You know, you've seen those commercials, right? But what this says, it says, be on your guard. Be watchful. Know your heart. It's not about not having weaknesses. It's about knowing what our weaknesses are. 
And what a man does is he knows what his weaknesses are. He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't justify them. He doesn't glorify them. What a man does is he's self-aware of his weaknesses and he addresses them. He works with God to address the weaknesses in his life. The three biggest things that men struggle with are sexual purity in, in all different forms and fashion, frustration at work in the sense of being unfulfilled or stuck where you don't want to be, and then feeling inadequate at home as either a father or as a husband or potentially as both. And so what a man does is he recognizes that. He doesn't put up a front of his life as altogether. He is self-aware. He is watchful for the weaknesses in his life, and he addresses that. Here's the next phrase. It says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. So here's the second difference between a man and a boy. A man lives by his convictions, and a boy does what he wants. And I want to tell a story. We're not going to go look there, but I want to tell a story. Uh, and I wish we had time for every one of these, but I want to look at a, te- a story in the Old Testament, the story of Daniel. And the story of Daniel is that he was a Jewish man who was exiled to Babylon. And when he was in Babylon, he rose through the ranks of being one of the top three advisors to the king. And the king was going to make him the number one advisor, but the people around him were jealous of him, and they didn't want him to take that top rank, and so they made this plot. And they went to the king, whose name was Darius, and they said, Darius, we think that you should make a law for all the people living in Babylon that for 30 days... They cannot pray to or make petitions of anybody except for you, King Darius, because you're the man. And so King Darius said, that sounds like a good idea. What about punishments? And so they got together and said, and if anybody prays to anybody or any god other than Darius in this 30-day period, they will be thrown in a den of lions and killed that way. Well, the problem is Daniel, who was a man who lived by his convictions, every day He opened his window, he faced Jerusalem, because that's where he wanted to be returned to, his homeland, and every day, three times a day, he prayed that God would deliver them back to his homeland of Israel. But now there's a decree that he can't pray to his God, and so what does he do? He opens the window, by the window, prays towards Jerusalem to God, just like he has done the whole time that he's been there. He lived by his convictions. Now, it would have been quite possible, he could have very easily said, you know, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray downstairs. Or I'm not going to open the windows and the curtains so they can see me. Or I'm going to pray away from them. I'm going to pray quietly to my God, because God hears me no matter where I pray, in a closet so they don't know that I'm praying. But he doesn't do that. He lived by his convictions. And the result was that the king sentenced him to death. He put him in a den of lions, but then God rescued him out of that, and they didn't eat him, and he lived, and he went on to do many great things. But what I want us to see is that he was willing to die for his convictions. And that's what a man is about. That we say, these are my convictions, and I'm going to live the way that God wants me to live, no matter what the consequences are. But you see, that's different from a boy. What a boy does is he makes choices 
in different times over different things depending on who is there. That because he's, his friends are around, he doesn't live by his convictions. Or because a boy is all alone and nobody sees him and nobody knows what he's doing, he doesn't live by his convictions. But a man lives by his convictions in all that he does in all circumstances. Here's the next phrase. Then it says, act like men. That ties this whole thing together. We'll come back to that in a second. And then it says, be strong. Be strong. A man protects and a boy does nothing. A man protects and a boy does nothing. You know, as I look at these four things that we're going to talk about, this is probably the one that we as men often do most naturally in terms of doing well. That we, most of us have a natural protectionist instinct when it comes to our wives, when it comes to our mothers, when it comes to our sisters, when it comes to our children. We have a fairly natural instinct to protect them. But I would challenge you as a man to widen that circle, to say, where else can I be a protector of people, a protector of those who are weaker, a protector of those who are in danger? And I wrote on here, a man protects comes from being strong, and a boy does nothing. I put those as opposites. The other opposite I could have put, but really felt like God was leading me in a different direction, I could have put a man protects and a boy is a predator. But I don't think that very many of us in this room are uh, likely to be predators. I think what we're more likely to do is do nothing, is to let things go on in front of our face, to let things go on that we're aware of, of bullying of gossip, of talking ill of people, and we just let it go on. We stand by and do nothing. I love what Edmund Burke said. He said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. We want to let evil triumph, then good men, like the men in this room, just stand back and do nothing. I would challenge us as men to take initiative to be protective of the people in our lives and the people in our circles that need to be protected. The final phrase, it says this. It says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. And you may have heard this before, that there are different words for love in Greek that are all translated as love in English. One of the words is the word agape. It's an unconditional love. That's the word for love that's used here. It says, let all that you do be done in unconditional love. That describes what a man does. A man loves unconditionally, but a boy loves selfishly. Men and boys both love people, things, all that type of stuff, but boys love selfishly. Boys say, what can I get out of this? And if I don't get what I want out of this, then I'm not going to love. But what a man does is a man says, I will love unconditionally, even if I don't get anything in return for it. I will love unconditionally, even if it costs me something. You know, one of the things that I love about River Ridge Church is that we have men that invest in the lives of boys. And now I'm talking age-wise. We have men that invest in the lives of boys. That from the time that kids are in kindergarten, they're in small groups. And we, as best we can, we want to have men leading small groups of boys when they're in our elementary ministry, when they're in middle school, when they're in high school, because we want men to invest 
in the lives of kids, in the lives of boys. And maybe this morning, that's what God is calling you to do. That part of you being here today is God wants you to invest in the life of a young man, of a boy, of a group of men, because let all that you do be done in love. What kind of love? In unconditional love. I want to point out one phrase to you and draw your attention to a part of the passage which is not very obvious but really helpful here. The middle phrase, it says, act like men. It doesn't say act like a man. It says act like men. The word men is plural. And one of the drawbacks that we have of, of English is that plural, singular and plural are not always differentiated when we read or speak in English. Uh, you is singular or plural unless you live in the South, and then it's you is singular and y'all is plural. So in this passage, every one of these commands is a plural command, not a singular command. If somebody had written this in Georgia, they would have written, y'all be watchful, y'all stand firm in the faith, y'all act like men, y'all be strong, y'all let all that y'all do be done in love. That's how it would read. I, I kid you not. These are all plural verbs here. And here's why this is important, is that men, we need each other. That men, we tend to be lone rangers. I don't need anybody. But what this says is if we want to be the men that God created us to be, then we need other men around us who will challenge us, who will encourage us, who will call us out when we don't act like men, who will call us out when we act like boys instead of acting like men. We need that in our lives. Let all y'all act like men. Have people around you. I want to finish by talking about the last uh, little verse here. And, I'm, and now we're opening up to everybody. Everybody can listen. Women, if you've been not paying attention, you may now pay attention. Come back from the bathroom wherever you are. It says this, do everything in love. This is a mark of our church. Do everything in love. That's why I love the church left the building. That's why I love the fact that we have so many people that serve week in and week out at Rivers Church. Do all that you do in love. Because when we love people, we are being the hands and feet of Jesus. So if you went out last Sunday and you served in any, any capacity at all, you were living this verse out. Let all that you do be done in love. And so we captured a story from last week about a group that went and served in Clendenin, uh, and they served in a place where a woman's house that was flooded. And I want you to check out this video as you think about what does it mean, both as a man and a woman, to let all that you do be done in love. And after we watch this video, it's about three or four minutes, then I'll come back up and dis close this and then dismiss it. So check this out. I walked back out, and the light out there in the yard was shining on my grass, and it was just real bright, you know. And I came back in, well, when I went out, the water had come up over the patio here all in my yard, and I came in and told Danny, I said, we've got to get out of here. I said, it's going to, the water's really coming up. Well, I hadn't much more said that. I was standing here in the water. I had uh, sliding glass doors there and the water rushed through under those doors with, su with such a force that it raised the carpet up off of my floor. Yeah, it was, I guess it was about like that. I had fallen 
I stayed all night over there and I had fallen the next morning and backwards into the water and the mud, flood water and all. And they put me on a, a four-wheeler and took me back up on the mountain to the cemetery back there and the helicopter flew in and got me. Yeah, so back in 2016, um, my mother's house was impacted by the flood um, in White Sulphur Springs. Uh, water came in. My mother lost pretty much everything except for the studs of her house, which we were fortunate and had a lot of help and rebuilt. So one of the cool things that I saw during the flood, I mean, it's a very tragic event, but there was beauty found in that. And in the terms of the people that came out from around the region, uh, even from River Ridge Church down in Taze Valley, we had people stopping by my mother's house, helping me rip up floorboards. Uh, the outpour of support and the outpour of people just putting their hearts into these flood victims uh, was very moving. And to me, it, it brought me closer to God and, and to my faith when I, when I found people doing that. And uh, just the examples of love uh, that people were, were exhibiting during that time. So when I saw the list of available projects where churches left the building this year, um, when I saw one for Clendenin and uh, sprucing up homes for flood victims, that was something that was very close and personal to me. So I hope that the work that we've done has made a difference for this homeowner and this flood victim and for the other one that we're going to work with and that, uh, that the people here working with us have experienced something that touches their heart in terms of uh, you know, service and, and doing the Lord's work. and. Uh, working in fellowship with each other. So the important thing to know is that today's not about mulching, it's not about painting, uh, it's not about cutting grass, it's about showing love to others. And that's what we're here to accomplish with Churches Left the Building. And I want to thank everyone, whether I know their names or not, but I mean, this is this is so exciting and it's, it's such a blessing. I just wasn't expecting it this much, and I sure do thank you for it. I love all of you. I love you too, Miss Daddy. Wish I, I wish I could do something more, but I'm just thankful that, that for all the help that I get, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable what all's been done for me. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the men and the women of this church who serve so faithfully, Lord, who desire to live as you created them to be, Lord. I pray that you would help us. Father, I pray for the men who are here right now. Help us to be men, to be the men of God that you want us to be in the way that we love, the way that we care, the way that we protect. God, help us to live that way. Lord, it's not easy, and we absolutely need your help. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.